Hey everybody, this is another installment of Sex and Politics. Welcome to Sex and Politics. It's a little bit of extra content for our Magnum subs. Thanks everyone who subscribes to the Magnum podcast. Today I have Alex Halperin from Weed Week. We talked about the legal weed market, legalization of weed, what that was like, and took one question from a caller about fucking a hippie, which seemed, you know, apropos if you're talking to somebody about weed. I hope you like it. Alex Halperin is the editor and publisher of Weed Week, a journalist. You can find Weed Week on Twitter at Weed Week News on Instagram and Twitter. Hey, Alex, thanks for jumping on the phone. Thanks so much for having me. So weed is something I love to talk about and I love to ingest. Uh, I don't smoke it, um, but I do eat the edibles, the legal edibles. Uh, and I've been paying attention, but I think I was paying more attention to the fight to, to decriminalize or legalize, create regulated markets for marijuana that I've been paying to the, the issues since we achieved legalization. Basically, after the first legal pot shop opened six blocks from my house, I stopped paying attention. Um, <laughs> so where are we with legal weed? It's, just, it's one of those things where it feels like everything's changed so fast. I've only been able as a gay man to be legally married since 2015, but it feels like forever. And it kind of feels if you're in like Colorado or Washington State or California, like weed's been legal forever and it hasn't been. Right. So, yeah, it's it's a really interesting comparison because like in in 1995, a quarter of Americans supported both legalization and same sex marriage. And 25 years later, about two thirds of Americans support support both. But um, but they've taken really different different paths. Like we, the the story of, of same sex marriage is is well known, and in some ways is is more familiar because there have been you know appeals from the stage at the Academy Awards and landmark Supreme Court cases, and Pride is is a huge event all over all over the country every year, and and the cannabis industry has sort of reached the same destination. But, but in a different way, through basically state-by-state state action. There really has been very little activity at the federal level, although they're constantly agitating for it, and there's more interest in it now than, than there's ever been before. So because it, it's been happening state-by-state state and local media is sort of dried up, we, we don't really hear – a lot of people, I think, don't quite hear about what's going on. But now – Recreational is legal in, I think, 19 states, and some form of medical is legal in about 40. Which is amazing. You, you talk about how fast things can change in your own lifetime. Like the difference between, you know, when I was 18 and gay and realizing what that meant and how that was going to shape or warp even my life, that's changed so significantly. But also weed. I remember when Seattle passed an initiative to make marijuana arrests and prosecutions the lowest law enforcement priority of Seattle Police Department. They were literally arresting more people for pot than jaywalking. The cops were breaking the law. And it suddenly became like, I remember this moment in the house I live in still, which I haven't owned forever, where I was just like, oh, I can smoke pot in my yard now without having to worry like somewhere in the back of my head that I'm going to get arrested. And it just, we've come so far so fast. And I, you know, sometimes I worry we're taking it for granted. Like as we've seen with voting rights and abortion, and it does feel like gay marriage uh, and contraception with Republicans having their sights set on overturning all of the Supreme court decisions that anything we've got, can be yanked from us, but it does feel like with legal weed that this is not going to change. It's one of the most bipartisan issues in the country. 
a lot of very conservative states have have legalized, and you oftentimes you they legalize medical first, and what medical can mean is very different. So, like in Utah, there are a handful of dispensaries, but Oklahoma has hundreds of dispensaries, and something like a ten percent of Oklahomans have have a, a medical card. And and one of the reasons for that is is that in in the veterans community, there's a huge amount of support for um, research into medical marijuana, which remains largely unstudied. So the sort of things that people think it's good for, for the most part, that's not really proven. It's crazy how it always wins at the ballot box. When marijuana legalization, creating a regulated market, opening pot shops was on the ballot in Washington and in Colorado, every political leader in Washington state, every Democrat endorsed a no vote. And then it won overwhelmingly. It's just been something that's been intuitively popular with voters forever, even in red states, yeah. conservative states have legalized marijuana at the ballot box. And yet it's one of those issues where politicians were terrified of being perceived as soft on crime or somehow ending the war on drugs, which we could never end. And voters had to lead. No, exactly. But it looks like Congress is beginning to catch up. So Senators Schumer, Booker and Wyden are about to release a federal decriminalization bill. They're all Democrats. But also recently, Representative Nancy Mace, who's a fairly Trumpy uh, congresswoman from South Carolina, introduced a bill to legal. And why do you think that is? Why do you, how did this become even more bipartisan than support for gay rights, which at this moment, politically in the United States, as they relabel all out gay people groomers, it feels like we're throwing that into reverse, but not pot. I think there are a couple, couple different reasons. One is there's a huge amount of support for medical marijuana. And what medical marijuana is, is a fairly ambiguous thing. Second of all, I mean, they're catching up with people are catching up with the voters or the, the politicians are, are catching up with the voters. So there's really no political capital almost anywhere in the country in opposing marijuana legalization. So nobody does it. Can we get honest? You know, one of the things the right used to say about domestic partnership laws was that it was a stalking horse. It was the camel's nose under the tent for gay marriage, for legalizing same-sex marriage. And we had to pretend once upon a time, or a lot of people in the gay rights movement pretended that wasn't true. Oh, no, 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 no. Just give us civil unions. And, you know, what we wanted was clearly gay marriage and civil unions was what we would settle for, but also one of the ways we made the argument for gay marriage. It seems to me that medical marijuana has played the same role in the movement for pot decriminalization. Like Absolutely. approve it for poor sick cancer patients, for veterans with PTSD, for, you know, people, chemotherapy, helped with their appetite. But it was, you know, marijuana dispensaries when they first opened, getting your weed card. It was really the camel's nose under the tent and it was as much bullshitting on the part of pot activists as, oh, yeah, we're fine with civil unions was bullshitting on the part of marriage equality activists like me. Yeah, I mean, that's still very much going on. You're, absolute, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, but what, what's interesting is that it's created a scenario where sort of because sort of medical research is almost further behind the politicians, activists feel free activists slash entrepreneurs, because just about everybody promoting medical marijuana or, or marijuana 
in any way has some sort of a, a financial interest in it. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I would say the term activist entrepreneur. So they feel free to make all sorts of claims that aren't necessarily true, but which there isn't science to prove or disprove. So for example, PTSD, a, a huge number of veterans have sort of independently come to cannabis as a way to treat their their PTSD, but there's really not very much scientific evidence available that it, it actually helps. <laughs> and certainly very few psychiatrists are on board with, with that kind of idea. So there's a, a huge gap where a lot of misinformation can flourish. And yet here we are. It, it, it literally blows my mind that I can walk six blocks from my house to the weed shop. And by or get it delivered, or get it delivered in some places by recreational weed. Before we get on to a more serious issue, I, I want to raise an objection that maybe Weed Week can cover. Uh, there's okay. a cannabis restaurant in New York where you go in, and everything that they serve is laced with cannabis. At the weed shop near my house, you can get uh, you know THC spiked potato chips, and I think some of this shit is getting it backwards. You get high and then you go eat. You don't eat to get high. Like I as a Pot purist from way back. Well, way back. I didn't start using pot until I was in my 30s. So I was such a square theater kid. Me in, neither. In high school. Like, I, I don't understand, like, the concept of the pot potato chip. As the editor of Weed Week, can you explain a pot potato chip to me? Because I get high and then I want to have some potato chips. I don't eat potato chips to get high to want to have some potato chips. So I think this sort of gets at one of the one of the main differences between the gay rights movement and the cannabis legalization movement, which is that the cannabis legalization movement is both a legalization movement and an industry. Mm-hmm. And so the rules of capitalism apply. So if somebody thinks there's it, it's being driven by market demands or perceived market demand for for a product, so people will give it a try because maybe it'll catch on. And, you know, there are all sorts of snacks out there trying to promote themselves. Yeah. And I don't, I don't get that. Weed chocolates I get, still have weed chocolates. I have some weed chocolates on the table in front of me. One of the issues that I, that I think is really um, germane to the whole weed debate is like you said, there's a lot of capital behind it. There's a lot of profit motive behind it. There was this hope when legalization efforts were gathering steam that a lot of people who'd been thrown in jail for selling weed or communities have been really harmed by the war on drugs would benefit from legalization. And that promise hasn't been met. Right. So it's a very challenging problem. Essentially the the idea, which is sort of shorthanded in the weed world as equity means that the, the people who, who suffered from the war on drugs should be able to, to profit from, from this very fast-growing industry. And lots of cities and, jurisdic- cities and states have set up programs to try and, and help some of, the, some of the smaller companies started by sort of mom-and-pop companies to support their ability to get on their feet and, and start doing business. The problem is, is that just as minority entrepreneurs are underrepresented in, in the mainstream economy, the cannabis's odd legal status exacerbates all those problems. And those, the, those problems, the, basically the way to manage them is to throw money at them. And these small mom and pop entrepreneurs don't have that kind of money. 
and the the cities and states and and a couple organizations that are sort of out to try and help them are up against companies that are now doing more than a billion dollars a year in in revenue and they're just not equipped to to compete in that way so these efforts are ongoing but nobody has really figured out a way to make it happen now a lot of the companies are very woke in their in their social media and messaging and stuff like that and some have invested in equity businesses or made other efforts to support them but it still looks like a very tiny amount of what the real equity success stories are are few and far between and the people profiting now and look to continue profiting more are very large well capitalized companies that resemble consumer packaged goods companies. Okay, so let's just let's say what it is we mean here. So white people used to throw a lot of black people into prison for selling weed. Uh, and now yep. white people are making all the money selling weed. Yeah. And how do we correct for that? There's been an effort in New York State, I believe. They may have the most progressive legislation, but has it borne out? So New York's market has been legalized, but it hasn't yet opened. So there are 10 existing licenses in New York State, and those are mainly held by big companies. One of those licenses was sold last week for $250 million. So New York has now reserved, I believe, the first couple hundred licenses for equity businesses and put some money behind that as well. But how do you do do that? Like, it's almost as if the state should say, look, if you have a felony conviction for marijuana growing or dealing, you get a license. Like those are the people who should get a license to legally sell weed now is people who went to jail for selling weed two decades ago. But these people are being prioritized in some jurisdictions, but even giving them a a license, (laughs) there are all sorts of, (laughs) essentially in New York, they'll be competing to begin with against these 10 companies Mm -hmm. already that are that are well-established. So basically, I mean, I think to, to, to really make any kind of progress on the issue, the companies need to really put their, their money where their Instagram is. And, and they have, and most of them haven't. So the, the companies need to in, invest in these mom and pop shops, not compete with them. Yeah. So some, some example of that, or, you know, like when you go to a Hilton hotel, it's not owned by the Hilton family. It's a Hilton franchise or something, something like that mm-hmm. is probably the, the best chance to, to make something work. And, and that's not really in place yet. And it, and efforts haven't been all that successful. One of the things that kind of drove me crazy after we legalized weed here is there's a lot of talk about expunging the records of people who'd, you know, had marijuana charges, marijuana convictions for possession. And literally the then governor of Washington state said uh, that people shouldn't have, you know, convictions on their records for things that aren't crimes now. And yet I loudly pointed out that people, you know, were still in jail for growing and dealing. And why weren't we also expunging the records and releasing people who had nonviolent growing dealing convictions? Not anybody who shot anybody's head off, but people who were 
you know, arrested for having a grow up in their basement and were still in jail. People who are arrested for smuggling pot into the country still in jail. And it seems to me that if you can make the argument that if possession is no longer a crime and no one should have that on their record, you have to then follow up with growing dealing no longer a crime and no one should have those convictions on their records either. Yeah, well, President Biden uh, during the campaign said he was going to free nonviolent cannabis offenders and he hasn't done it. So a lot of people in, in the community are pretty pissed off at him. That's super annoying. We had to scream, you know, I hate to keep drawing parallels between the gay rights movement. No, it's an interesting comparison. But Barack Obama, his first year in office, didn't do anything about his promise about rescinding Don't Ask, Don't Tell, the ban on gays and lesbians and bisexual people in the military. And it was war. Like gay activists were shouting Obama down at speeches. And it was because, you know, people got in his face that he kept this campaign promise at the last moment, right before they lost control of Congress. That wasn't the plan, but it was because gay activists were screaming and yelling. And now, you know, to his credit, you know, Obama like gets to claim credit for marriage equality and ending DADT. But DADT in particular, that didn't end. And Obama didn't evolve on gay marriage without gay people insisting and demanding and making noise. And so maybe the pot movement needs to get in Biden's face about that promise. Because I think that's definitely a promise that must be kept. It, it, it's also interesting because I think the, 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 the way politics shakes out is that people who are loyal to cannabis are much, perhaps much less loyal Democrats <laughs> than supporters <laughs> of, of the gay rights movement. Yeah, there's a lot so, of libertarians um, and some Republicans in the, the pot movement. Uncategorized as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, before we run out of time, because I want to throw a sex question at you too, because that's the deal here. CBD. It's hard for me yeah. to look at the CBDing of everything, that you can get CBD oil in everything, which doesn't get you high and has no flavor. You can't taste it. And not think this is bullshit. Is CBD bullshit? Uh, What's Weed Week's official position on CBD oils and CBD everything? Yeah. CBD toothpaste, CBD tinctures, CB, you get CBD deodorant. Is it actually doing anything or are you just being suckered people who buy this shit so cbd is the main ingredient in a called epidiolex that was approved by the fda i believe in 2018 for very severe pediatric seizure disorders and it's in the other pharmaceutical companies are studying it for other very serious indications so, so it's not bullshit. It's, it's a real thing. And it has real, it's already proven to have real medical value in, in terms of the CBD. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Of, but if CBD ain't bullshit, if you can't taste it, it doesn't get you high. How can you know it's actually in there? Just no, no, no. Trust? no. I'm, I'm just talking about the, the FDA approved pharmaceutical, which okay, has been okay. approved to treat severe pediatric seizure disorders. No, the CBDing of everything is largely bullshit. Oh, okay. Um, Good to so, know. So basically, because because it's totally, it's essentially unregulated. If you buy something that claims to have CBD in it, there's a pretty good chance it doesn't or doesn't have the amount it it says it does. There, but but this is but because it's so difficult to study, you, you know. 
there, everybody in, in the cannabis world says things like, oh, it helps with anxiety, it helps with sleep, and there's no real way to refute them. You know, you're an evidence-based guy, but there's, there's no evidence either way. And as a result, nonsense like this flourishes. This has been my hunch all along that like when CBD became the kale of pot where it was just in everything and, or, you know, the quinoa, except like you can chew quinoa, you can taste it. And when it was just like, I guess I'm just a cynic. And I think there are people out there who are full of shit. And I was looking at all these products going, you can't taste it. It doesn't have any effect that you can measure or notice. You know, if I was an unscrupulous person who wanted to turn a quick buck, I would put CBD in savage love and charge people extra to read it. Right. But perhaps someday science will show that it does some of the things these people claim it will do. So that that's why they can get away with it. But it's not going to do any of those things if it's not in there. Like some right. of these products probably don't even have it in there, right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. So we're going to keep you on for a sex question, if you don't mind. Oh, great. Yeah. Hey, I've known this gorgeous, lovely hippie friend of mine for many, many years. Before my previous relationship, we were kind of fuck buddies. He was in an open relationship and I was single. He lives a good three hour drive away. So it wasn't ever a really regular thing in real life. But we messaged a lot and we had a real connection. So I got in a relationship and he became single. I was monogamous, so nothing happened. We were just good friends who messaged each other now and then. And when my relationship ended and we were both single, we started flirting, sharing nudes and stuff again. Um, But we never met. He got into a new relationship shortly after, which wasn't open. So I put a stop to the naughty texts and said I didn't want to hurt his new girlfriend. I had to delete his number to stop myself from messaging him. Now, two years later, a couple of weeks ago, he's reached out to me out of the blue, telling me he's missed me and thinks about me and his relationship is now open. Can I just take his word for it? Um, we've been sexting a little bit and I want to invite him round, but I don't know if I need to ask about the terms of his relationship. I'd really love to see him in person again, but I'm very, very rusty with this and I need help making a move. What do I do? So Alex, Alex Halperin, editor of Weed Week, how can my caller, how can this uh, Savage Lovecast listener know for sure that this guy isn't lying about being in an open relationship? Is there a CBD truth serum that she could administer to him that would prevent him from lying to her about this? Well, wouldn't, I mean, the truth serum be getting verification from from the partner? Yeah, that's that's always a a lot of people's go-to, but... Some people are in open relationships where it's DADT or their partner mm. like is like, you know what, do what you're going to do, but I don't want to hear about it. And they don't want like field phone calls from potential other people that their partner is fucking. And that's legit. Like a lot of open relationships are DADT. Some people suggest like a, recording a video of your partner saying it's okay, but then, you know, your partner can change their mind about the open relationship and you can have a four-year-old video on your phone where they're saying it's okay and it's not okay with them anymore. So what do you do? I suppose I would tend to say probably take his word for it just because if he's lying, then then the relationship maybe isn't that great a relationship. And so... Yeah, like sometimes I say people are slamming their hand down on the self-destruct button to get out of a relationship, and sometimes you are that self-destruct button. If they need out, it can be a good thing to be somebody's self-destruct button, and you can get some sex out of it. Yeah, and 
you know, and even if you can't get the verification, maybe she's doing the partner well to get her rid of this guy. <laughs> Although, you know, I will say, I will rush to the defense now of this hippie gentleman that I've never met, that, you know, he was straight up with the caller when he got into this relationship and it was closed. And that doesn't mean he couldn't be lying now. But I think that the fact that he waited a couple of years, and that's often the case, like relationships are closed and monogamous. And most people are in open relationships. They were monogamous relationships for a while. So the fact that he was straight up and truthful with the caller at the odds, you know, at the beginning of this relationship, I think could be counted as evidence in favor that it's likely he's being straight up and truthful now. Why would he start lying about this now? Would be my question for the caller. Yeah. So I, I, I think take the guy at his word. Does Weed Week have an advice column? We were going to. I would. I would. I would love to, but we don't right now. Weed doesn't come up in my column often enough. It comes up sometimes because I, I actually, you know, a lot of you know the mainstream sex advice columnists will say or sex advice podcasters have a glass of wine, have a couple glasses of wine, don't get hammered. But like if you're like having low desire, like have a glass of wine, and I'm always like smoke some pot, eat some pot. I am the uh, have a pot edible. Uh, equivalent of all those advice columnists out there saying, have a glass of Chardonnay. But it doesn't come up often enough for me to volunteer Savage Love for Weed Week. I would just like to read. I love the genre. I love advice columns. I'd love to read the Weed Week advice column if you ever get it. That I hope we do someday. Alex Halperin, editor, publisher of Weed Week, journalist. He's on Twitter, or Weed Week's on Twitter, at Weed Week News. You can also find Weed Week News on Instagram at the same uh, handle. Hey, Alex, thank you so much for the convo. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me. All right, that's it for this Sex and Politics. Thank you for listening. Hey, if you have a suggestion for someone you'd like to hear me talk with about politics on S&P, give me a call. Let me know, 206 302 2064. This has been Sex and Politics, a little extra treat for Savage Lovecast Magnum subscribers. Thank you for downloading. Talk to you next time.